And would I, if they showed up at my door completely spontaneously, I didn't know they were coming, would I open my door and be like, yeah, you can sleep over the night? Would they be welcomed into the absolute sacred ground of my life, which is my home? And if I can't say yes to those two things, then I can't because of the level of support that I provide. It has to be like, you get on a plane right now, you come here, the door's open. It has to be that. That connection has to be there. And welcome to episode 34 of the Coaching Life podcast, where we peel back the bull crap and brush away any photoshopping to give you an unfiltered look at what it's like to live a coaching life. I love spontaneity, reaching out to people in the moment and sometimes a very short time later, here we are in conversation. And that's what's happened today, just, uh, I don't know, two or three hours ago now. This podcast is all about giving an unfiltered view of life, as I said, and its challenges as a coach. And today's guest shows up in a way that I think redefines unfiltered. She filters nothing, <laughs> shows all of who she is, unbashfully shares her successes, her struggles. I've seen her posting about her menstrual cycle, being fleeced, upset, happy, joyous, all of it. She shares her complete experience of being human encouraging others to lovingly embrace all of their humanness too. Her work, I think, really being very much centred around self-love and being human. Indeed, her business is called Being Shanti. So big welcome, Shanti Zimmerman. Overdue on the show. Thank you for coming. Yay! I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> and I'm glad it worked out. Like, I'm cooking lunch. You want to be on this thing? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. So I'm going to come back to my usual first question. But what does unfiltered mean to you? Well, I don't think that we can actually ever be totally unfiltered. Mm. I think it's just something that we can uh, willingly try to become. I think unfiltered, you'd have to go back to not being able to speak anymore. <laughs> Get to the true unfiltered state of experience, then there wouldn't be language happening anymore. But for me, unfiltered means that uh, there's nothing I won't share. There's nothing I won't talk about. There's nowhere I won't go. And if I if I hesitate to go somewhere, then I'll just tell somebody, I'm scared. Hmm. This is uncomfortable. And I'm willing to still stay in it, even though I'm scared and this is uncomfortable and I don't like it. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. So, um, yeah, my usual original question. Can you tell us how you got into the profession of coaching? Oh, yes. But, uh, okay. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> right back there. In, I think it was, I don't know, let's say, first off, I've kind of been a coach in some form or another for a very, very long time. So I was on the leadership council in my religion as a, as a young person, facilitating workshops of like hundreds of people or more. Um, then I became a personal trainer. So in some way or shape or form, I've been leading workshops and trainings and that kind of stuff for a really long time <laughs> since forever it feels like but it's officially entering the coaching arena which is what a lot of people know coaching to be was a 2000 and i want to say it's 2010 when i um entered a strategic interventionist which is a, a 
it's a it's a separate group, but that teaches you Tony Robbins coaching from the inside, like from every aspect. It's a three year program. I finished it in eleven months. Um, it was awesome, but I kept feeling like mm, there's something like there was still. And I I went went to what was the I went to the event where you walk on fire, mm-hmm. um, and all the and it was funny because I took my husband, and the last day it was the the day prior to the last day we locked eyes for 10 minutes when all this hoopla was going on right because it's very very bombastic these events and we locked eyes for 10 minutes in complete silence we picked up our shit and we left (laughs) 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 and um I still sometimes get references from those times, right? Where it's like people want like an accountability coach and that's not what I, I know. I find that that that's not, if somebody else has to be accountable or I have to look, go to somebody else to be accountable, I'm not learning to be self responsible. And so it's never really worked out for me. And then I did a lot of training with Byron Katie. Uh, I actually came to Byron Katie because there was a, a video I saw of Steve Hardison, uh, the football thing. And yeah, sure. I, I didn't know who he was. I forget, somebody sent it to me. I mean, I didn't know who he was. I didn't care. I'm like, I love this person. And I opened up dialogue. We are very, very good friends now. And he said, Shanti, get this book. And it was um, Loving What Is. Yep. And I was in Europe at the time and uh, still am. And I, th- I was reading. And I'm like, okay, this is all interesting. And I thought, oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to become a coach because it's easy for me to do it free from where I am at. I can speak English. I don't have to integrate too much more into I'm very integrated in my village but you know I can do it in my mother tongue and I wound up five weeks later she was here in Germany and I wound up going to the nine-day school and then I spent a year in the facilitation program and I did all kinds of things there's a Scott Killaby and on um, liberation unleashed all these kind of like spirit non-dual spiritual things that I had never heard of in my whole life (laughs) (laughs) I did all those and I've done a lot of a lot of different coaching programs I've either started and gotten through them super fast or started and went, oh, fuck no, and walked away. What's, what's, what's um, driven you through those? What's been the driver for you? It's, it's funny you ask that because I've been thinking about that too. It's like for me, if I'm going to invest in myself, money, time, whatever the hell you want to call it, an investment, I was looking at like my history, right? And my history has always been my personal growth comes first. So while when I went to the school, there was a little tiny bit of me that was like, oh, I'll be able to help. I can use this in my coaching. There was something in me deeper that knew this is for me. And I came back and I never used it in my coaching. Even when I became, was like so close to becoming a facilitator, I was like, no, this isn't what I want to do. Yeah. God, such a beautiful point that is because I've been in workshops as well. And I, I generally have gone to workshops done a lot of stuff with Robert Holden and whatever you and allowed myself to be immersed in the experience of the workshop for me and then mm-hmm. you know whatever you take away you take away but there have been others there that are copiously taking notes and um i've even one person i remember and, uh, i hope she's not listening but if she is cool <laughs> <laughs> copiously taking notes and i kind of asked her about it and she said well she wants to use this in her work and i just thought you know it's, it's like people going to concerts and watching their entire concert through the screen on their iphone you know mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, for me, it's like if if I think what I came to figure out for myself, like also like what I do, my work, it's not something that I push off on my family. I don't talk. There's things I see and I don't say anything. It's not my job. I'm only here to help those that ask. Mm-hmm. And 
what I do coach on, it's because it's what I experience. So for me, I truly, I deeply believe in experiential experience because that's what we're here for. If you don't experience yourself, you can write it down in a notebook all you want. It's not going to actually bring you to that place. It's like when I read, I am experiencing the book. And if I'm not, I put the book down. Right. If, if the book isn't touching me, if it's not causing like transformation after transformation, like, ooh, and, and I'm applying it to my life, I put the book down or I'm reading some kind of smutty thing because I'm ignoring life and it's fun, <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> which is cool, too. But as far as coaching, like if I had the opportunity right now to invest in my business, let's say, which I'm doing, the very first thing I will do is invest in myself and my own growth. I won't invest in business. I won't invest in strategy. I won't invest in uh, platforms and websites and things like that. The very first thing I will do will invest, it, it will be to invest in my own expansion and growth because that's what feeds me the most and ultimately feeds my clients. Yeah, beautiful. Well, I'm going to come back to that, but I'm I'm curious really about this this development into coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm getting yeah invested a lot in yourself. Um, mm-hmm. How did that start? I mean, where did your first coaching clients come from? I love this. I have a good story. So I finished my program in 11 months and I go on, I was in a bunch of different groups. Uh, I I was a personal trainer before, right? And I was doing a lot of fitness and I was involved in a lot of fitness. I I literally walked into these online rooms and said, Hey, I just got my coaching thing. Who wants to be my client? It's $25 an hour. And right off the bat, I had 10 clients. And that's basically how I've done it always. It's honest. Hey, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> Y'all want to come to try come, you know, you want to come pay me to like learn more about what I'm doing? And people were like, yeah. And and I, I like those people from that time, I have so much appreciation for because there were so many, so many times where I was like using what I learned, you know, like I had like flashcards and like um and all these things. And it's also where I learned to be like, this, uh, this is a bunch of crap. Like I can't, you can't, I can't come to these things prepared. In fact, the less prepared I come to meet somebody, the better. And, um, you know, just putting up with that and just being so gracious and, and still having huge breakthroughs and being affected in their lives, which I'm so thankful for because you know, that, that you were just coming out of that. But I have always been honest. I don't know what I'm doing. I still don't know what I'm doing. You know, and <laughs> <laughs> now it's a lot more than $25 an hour. But it's um, as I grew in recognizing who and what I'm, I am and what I provide and what I'm bringing, um, then that grew too. Yeah, I love that. And I relate to it as well. I mean, I, sometimes I think I know what I'm doing, but that doesn't mean that I do. <laughs> I, I find the best is just to be like, I'm, I'm, I'm here to be fully present here and now uh, and be myself. And myself is enough. And what myself has been through in this life, like the experiential experience that I bring into being just by being me is enough. Mm. So you've insinuated there that that's still going on. Has the way that clients are finding you and engage with you, has that changed in any significant way? Well, I've done all kinds of things. Like I've tried out all kinds of things, right? Um, but like if I, if I like distill it down. I've every single client I've ever gotten has been from Facebook or through somebody who met me on Facebook who took in, in contact. So Facebook has been the platform that I have always used just to, and both mostly just to express myself. Um, sure. I do launches sometimes. I mean, I haven't in a, almost 18 months 
and I put things out there and it kind of like, it just goes flat in the water and I'm like, mm, I'm not feeling this. And so then oh, I don't feel it. <laughs> I remember um, a program um, you speaking about, I don't know how long ago it was. It could even be like a couple of years because time flies, doesn't it? Called mm -hmm. The Experiment. Yep. Tell us a little bit about that. The experiment, uh, it's the, it's love called, the name. <laughs> it was the experiment, emotional alchemy. And so it, it, I use the word experiment. I got ridiculed too. I mean, there was somebody who just blasted me like you're experimenting with people and you want them to pay you, you know, this kind of thing. And I'm like, I was like, look, when it, especially when it comes to emotions, because we have a lot of hangups around emotional experience. Um, it has to be looked at as an experiment. It has to, because then you're willing to, you're willing to remain curious. It, let me see. Let me poke this thing. Let's see. What does that do? It's like a little kid. If a little kid was to walk into a, a factory room and there's a whole shit ton of buttons, he's just going to go push all the buttons and find out what happens. There's no like, you know, there's no seriousness to that. It's like, let me see. Or, or I'm a mad scientist. Let's see what I can mix together to change my experience. Oh, that didn't work. Okay. Let's try something else. Oh, that works. I want to do that again. How do I replicate that? So it becomes an experiment, an exploratory experience. Everything I do, including with private clients, is experiential. Everything. So if I give them homework, which is such a dumb word, it's going to be something that's going to create an experience for them. It's not about like writing a journal, even depending on the person, but usually it's something like you're going to go out and you're going to do this. Because it's going to create a feedback loop, an experience that you have that is undeniable. And I can't tell you. Even let's say I've done that same exact thing because I'll never ask a client to do something I've never done. Um, I don't know what the, their outcome is going to be. I just know that there's a potential for growth. I don't know what that growth is going to look like. I don't know what their outcome is going to be. I can't guarantee shit. It's just like, go, try, have fun. Let me know what happens. <laughs> Even if you, you fall know, on your face. I do sometimes wonder whether coaching is really about helping people to remember what it's like to be a child I guess it depends on what you're doing like I don't like I think coaching is such a huge word it's such a huge word and there's so many things stuck into that word mm. of life coaching and trans whatever that coaching is and it's a, it's it's a word that I use because I have I, well I don't have the certificates anymore I burn them in a fire but <laughs> <laughs> but but um it's a word that's that can, that can it's open for interpretation very much so and I think that's what sometimes people have a trouble understanding is that no two coaches are alike just like no two doctors are alike no two teachers are alike no two humans are alike so for me coaching comes down to when I'm talking to somebody about coming into a coaching experience with me it's whatever that is for them that they want that they're coming to that that I can say I've had lots of people say hey can you help me with this we took got on the phone I'm like no but I do have somebody I know who I could refer you to because that's not really where my special mm. specialness is i'm curious then what what does it feel like to you how do you kind of know and you can just say or it's a feeling but i'm just curious what that's like when somebody comes to you and you know yeah this is a great fit as opposed to somebody who doesn't well one the one thing that makes a great fit is i know i can help i know that this is something i can support with every part of my being but for example, if somebody comes to me and wants to learn about dating, I don't know shit about dating. <laughs> I don't know anything about it. Like I don't have, I don't have the life experience other than like, you know, 25 years ago. Um, but if they want to come to me and talk about how do I create a deeper relationship to myself so that I'm ready to enter into a relationship with somebody else, I can help with that. 
But if they're really looking for like, I want to know how to go out and, uh, but I have friends that do that and they're amazing at it. So then I will just pass them forward in that way because I won't be able to serve them best. And I think that um, in my sales conversations, as we would call them, it's I'm always giving equal responsibility to the client. They're stepping into the agreement with equal responsibility to more co-creators. We're in this together. There's not like, they're not going to like rub on me and get something. There's going to be a lot of work involved. And I, and I always tell people, I won't lie to you. This is not going to be like, Oh, you're just going to fly by. There's a lot of work involved in, in becoming self-responsible, like truly self-responsible where your freedom lies requires you to work for it. Mm-hmm. And if they're ready for the work, because I can tell that they're ready for the work because I'm doing this long enough, then I'm like, okay, okay, let's do it. it then it's exciting for me, right? But if, if it feels like I have to pull them or convince them of something, that's never going to work for either one of us. Yeah, I mean, that's a mistake I think I've made. I've had a couple of clients um, years ago, really. Um, fortunately, not since, but um, 20, I don't know, 13, one comes to mind and yeah. Is, but I think uh, we all have. That's where we learn. It's a mistake, yeah. Well, it's a mistake in that it didn't really work out, perhaps, for that person, um, <laughs> who who didn't want to, um, didn't really want to let go of how she's looking at life. Mm-hmm. And and me, I, I've I had that of, happen too. I yeah. kind of wonder why would somebody hire a coach if they're not willing to look at life differently. I've had people like, you know, from the strategic intervention, send me emails and and demand and tell me what I was going to do as a coach for them. And I'm like, eh, eh, eh. (laughs) this doesn't really work for me. (laughs) But um, here's the person who does that kind of accountability coaching. I would love to connect you to them. Mm. So So for you, what's, what's perhaps been, let's get a little, even a little bit more personal. What's been perhaps the most joyous thing that's happened for you during your time in this profession? And then we'll we'll go not right to the other extreme, but perhaps something that's been really uncomfortable that you've had to deal with. Okay, well, in either order. Mm-hmm. So the thing that that brings me it brings me to my knees and like appreciation and gratitude all the time is that um, I, don't, I don't know, but some huge percentage, ninety percent of my clients um, are dear dear friends. Mm-hmm. that um, when I wobble, it, like when I wobble, when I doubt, when I'm insecure, when I'm like launching a program, and I'm like, fuck, what the fuck am I doing? Why do people even care? Like, this is, is this meaningless? You know, and I can reach out to them in that wobble, like past clients, and they're there for me. They're like, Shanti, just remember who you are. And they're willing to tell me like, this is how you affected my life. This is how important this is. Like, you need to be doing this. Like, that to me is, beyond I, that's the currency that has no it's it has no there's no boundary to that currency that currency is infinite yeah and i'm really moved actually just hearing you say that because you know you gave me an experience of that late last year um and really reminding me of who, of who i am mm-hmm. so yeah i i feel that appreciation for you too thank you <sighs> it's my favorite <laughs> <laughs> Because, because I think that this is a, one of the things I say for the criteria for my clients are, will they hold my hair if I'm puking? <laughs> right? And would I, if they showed up at my door completely spontaneously, I didn't know they were coming, would I open my door and be like, yeah, you can sleep over the night? Yeah. 
Will they be welcomed into the absolute sacred ground of my life, which is my home? And if I can't say yes to those two things, then I can't because of the level of support that I provide. It has to be like, you get on the plane right now, you come here, the door's open. It has to be that. That connection has to be there. And you know what, it's really fascinating, you know, to hear that as, as one um, one end of the spectrum. Because that's a beautiful thing about this profession, right? You've already touched on it. Um, um, and I can't remember whether we were recording or not, but you already touched on that there, there are so many different types of coaches mm-hmm. out there. Um, and I know we, we definitely did mention a little bit about this before we started recording. There are, of course, coaches out there that are, refuse to take your calls in between in between perhaps what I call heartbeat calls. I have heartbeat calls with my clients, but I'm in their life. I always say, look, I'm in your life. You can contact me anytime. And if we have to have another call, I, whatever. I call it full access. Yeah, yeah, full yeah beautiful. Love that. Um, and we just, uh, if, but there, there are certainly coaches out there who refuse to take calls. Um, one in particular told me a story that, you know, why on earth would I want a client calling me between calls if he can't sort something out between calls? We probably shouldn't be working together. So, you know, that, that it is horses for courses. That mm-hmm. is the beauty of the profession that there, there are, um, there are coaches. Well, I there think, I also think there's wants. a whole lot of myths in the coaching industry. <laughs> myths and legends or we could call it bullshit there's a whole lot of that you know and um i've been through both i've been completely tremendously supported and i've had coaches that were like don't you dare bother me between sessions kind of uh experience so i know the experience i know which ones i prefer <laughs> so <laughs> i know which ones feel nourishing to me i know which ones um all right, but there's also there's schools of thought. There's coaching schools that say don't take clients instead of leaving it up to you to be like, what's right for me? What feels good to me? Like, and, and both are valid. But here's what I, with what you just said, here's where I draw the line. It's never about the client. Like, why would I want a client calling me, you know, at, when they can't? No, it's like, I'm just not open to having a client calling me in between sessions. I'm not open to that. It's uncomfortable for me. There you have me. I understand you. I support you. But as soon as you start blaming the client or, oh, I had these shitty clients. They have such shitty attitudes. I'm like, oh, man, you're lost. Because yeah. it's just it's so painful to me when I hear somebody speaking about clients tell or potential clients like a commodity. Yeah. How would you describe you, yourself as a client? As a client of a, of a coach? Um, yeah. I would say as a student, mm. uh, as long as I, it's, when it's something I have chosen to be at, I'm in 150%. 150%. Like I was, I, I won't get into details, but I was scammed last year. I had this really horrible experience and I was coaching with these coaches and I was in a group of theirs and I was an A plus student, you know, just doing the work, head down. This is what I'm doing. This is what I've agreed to until the point where it no longer felt integral to me. And then I dropped it like a hot potato. So <laughs> as a student of, of when I step into something, I'm all in, but I'm also very discerning about what, at what point do I step out? Mm-hmm. And I think this is really important. So does that, does that relate? Cause I, I don't know that I got an answer from you for that question. It was probably me interrupting actually about what's perhaps been the most uncomfortable, your most uncomfortable experience. Yeah. Well, a lot of things. So my most uncomfortable experience happens to me quite often. 
and and I still don't quite know like okay what is mine in this because I always go to like Shanti what's your responsibility here what is mine in this because it it irks me and it just happened about five days ago um there's many coaches in the industry I totally highly respect and I will get somebody who went into a program with somebody that I highly respect and they say they come in with their story and this and this happened and I, I'm always open there's two stories and I often ask the people where's your part in this so that I can know what I need to hear so I'm not just hearing gossip I'm not just hearing somebody being unhappy with something that mm. happened but it's always something about promises not render people promising things and then when when it like I promise to help you get financially free or I promise to help you do this with your business but you can't promise anybody something like this because there's always it's it's a co-creation and when that doesn't happen or they struggle and especially they struggle emotionally especially when it comes to business or finances people get scared there's a lot of emotional shit that goes on around those those things and as coaches we are we are in the market of money and fears regardless of whether we want to be or not if you're selling something, that's what what's happening. And so, and instead of meeting the people, these people that were struggling, and that was the thing they had tried many times to connect with the, with the coach, say, hey, I need help, or I'm uncomfortable, or this isn't like this doesn't feel right to me. The coach was just like, well, if you're not getting the material, it's your fault. And so, this is fundamentally the issue that I have in the coaching industry: that if somebody's not getting results, it's their fault. It's not my fault. It's your fault. You're not doing it. It's like, no, 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 <laughs> If somebody's not happy with a course that I've done, even if I know for a fact, I've had this experience. So somebody came into a course of mine. She didn't show up the way that she could have. When she had problems, she didn't write me emails. She didn't tell me. So when the course was over, and I knew, and I kept going, hey, Cal, can I support you? Where are you? What's going on? And so I knew I had done everything I could. All content was delivered, the entire course was delivered, and at the end she sent me this really long email about where she was unhappy. And at first I was like, oh man, like it's too late, I can't give you your money back. You know, we're at the end of this 12-week experience, I, I just can't and this doesn't feel right. So then I decide, nope, I get, I get on the phone with her for two hours, and we go through like what was upset, and she said, and I asked her, what would you ultimately want? She said, well, I would like to be able to take the course again. I said, look, I can't guarantee because, I, A, I don't know when the course is going again. I don't know how much it's going to be. I don't know anything. I said, but I'm here. The, you have the material. If you need me at all, at, for, like, the rest of your life going through this material, please send me an email. And we worked it out. We came to a point where it was clear. Yeah. The next time I did the course, she wrote me. She said, I know that we talked about this already. And I know that I, I'm ready to take responsibility. This is what I needed. I need to hear, like, I'm ready to take responsibility. I'm ready to be there. Can I take this course again without, you know, without paying? And I was like, yep. Beautiful. Even though I know that I delivered, mm. I delivered perfectly. Yeah. But the, the person matters to me. She matters to me. She still matters to me. Yeah. And, and I guess we both know perhaps the other side of that, where um, it does seem, unfortunately, in this profession that, that money does matter to some perhaps more than 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 the client well i see that a lot yeah i see that a lot and like um if somebody were to ask me for like a refund in like two weeks in or three weeks in and i felt too hey this isn't a match i have i don't spend the money hmm. okay when i when i when the money comes in for a course i don't spend that money until the course is absolutely finished and done 
because I'm not ever going to put myself in the situation where I can't give back. I don't care if it's 350 or $350,000. I'm not going to put myself in a position where I can't say, you know, you're right. This isn't working. Here's your money. I really wish you well. I'm not going to, that doesn't even make sense to me to put myself in that situation. Because then, and the thing is, this again is not about my clients so much. It's about my own freedom of being able to be like, I hear you, and and this is cool for me. I had a client, one client, after three months, I, I wound up calling him at home because he kept not showing up for the, the coaching calls. Like not on Skype. I got his phone number and I called him up. <laughs> I was like, What are you? I was sleeping. I'm like, Okay, look, this isn't working. This feels like I'm trying to push you up a hill. You don't want to go up this is no fun. It's no fun for me. It's no fun for you. Like, it's cool. I'm going to keep the money for three months and I'm going to send you back the rest for the rest of the year. I'm firing myself. Mm -hmm. Two years later, he came back and was a $45,000 client. He was ready. I was ready. I was like, are you sure? Are you sure? I'm sorry, 35, not 45. I was like, are you sure? Because, you know, I'm not like, this is not going to go like last time. And um, it wound up being a really a beautiful, beautiful experience. And it's an amazing level of commitment that you're showing as a coach for your clients. And of course, I'd imagine that they, you know, where, when it does work, they're mirroring that level of commitment to their, their time and their work with you. Yeah. I'm wondering, you know, playing devil's advocate here a little bit, if I'm listening to this and I think, well, God, I would love to do that. I would love to, I would, you know, love to show that, level of love and support to my clients but um and i'm wondering how does that impact your life given that this podcast is called coaching life how does that impact perhaps your life personal life is there is there a um well let's i guess the word that comes to mind are, are boundaries and things like that what's what's the impact on you being a coach on your personal life perhaps that's the question I would say there isn't really one. Hmm. The, the, the deepest impact, honestly, if I'm so honest, okay, so I'm going to be totally honest. The deepest impact is when I get frustrated about, oh, I should be marketing like other people. And I start to feel like a failure. And I start to feel like I'm not doing it right. And I start to feel like oh, I should be doing more and I need to be selling shit. And why is this not looking? That fucking impacts my life, right? But when I let go and I simply do what I do, and I provide support and I, I, um, put things out there and people answer or they don't, or people just come to me out of nowhere and their clients, it doesn't affect my life at all. In fact, it enriches my life. It enriches my life. And it's, I was yesterday, a client reached out and I was all day at a basketball tournament and I literally had no brain cells at night to answer him. And I just briefly let him know that <laughs> I have no brain cells. I cannot respond right now. Like not, I will probably, I promise to respond before you wake up tomorrow. So, um, no, it, it, the coaching itself enriches my life. And, and I, like, because I grow myself so much and I give myself so much and I'm constantly checking in with myself so much, there's nowhere else I feel more alive than when I'm coaching, when I'm with. So what's different about Shanti now compared to, let's just say, five years ago? Oh, a lot. Uh, let's say seven years. <laughs> so um, go, Going to the grocery store, Fridays are the days that I go to the grocery store, I go to the organic market, um, stressed me out so bad that I would be almost incapacitated But on Monday when I knew I had to go shopping again on Friday. I have four children. 
So it was like life just overwhelmed me. Like any extra little anything that, that I needed to be responsible for would completely drown me. In, and I, I didn't feel capable. I didn't feel able. I didn't feel it's like, oh, everything felt. <laughs> um, and like pulling teeth, right? And now it's just from overflow. And the thing is, I can be sick. I can be having a shitty day. And I can show up to that. I've shown up to client sessions bawling my face off, being like, I don't know what's going on. And they were being like the best sessions ever. Um, it, it was like I was trying to be something seven or eight years ago, trying to be something. And I just stopped trying and was like, well, I'm going to do this. I don't want to do it any other way than being myself. And I, like I, I said in the intro, you know, I, I, I really admire that about you, your willingness to, to show up as, as unfiltered as, as, as you do, whatever that means. Has there... well, I've, also, I've learned, though, that people will ridicule you for whatever you do. Well, you know, and I was going to kind of come to that. Like, has there been... Like, what, what perhaps is, I guess, the, the, the best impact of that is, you know, you, is people are responding to how you show up and they come along and, and you get to work with beautiful people and have beautiful experiences. But I guess there, there has been a flip side to that at times, right? Yes. Yeah, well, because I'm so out there, people make a lot of assumptions about me. Hmm. Um, I, and I mean, the thing is, the, the, the biggest assumption is that I'm not who, I say, who I'm being. I'm not who I say I am. Even though I'm like, I feel like, well, I, I'm showing you all I got. Like, I really don't have anything else to show you. Um, or that I'm using what I'm doing to manipulate. Or uh, that I have ulterior motives of some kind. Or that um, I've been accused of all kinds of things. I've been accused of, like, stealing people's stuff. And I'm like, what? Like, no. And, like, and then they'll block me. I'm like, okay. Or I'll, I'll say, look, you can go out of my life on Facebook and I'm going to continue. <laughs> like what I've been doing. So <laughs> let's see how that works out. You know, there's no, there's none of that, that I've had, I, I mean, I've been trolled in the worst ways. I would never wish it on anybody. Right. And so when people are like, I'm so afraid to put myself out in the spotlight. I'm like, I understand. I, I went through the, I've had to walk through those fires of like, just horrible people saying horrible, horrible things to me and not give like the lack of my hardest thing is when I'm like, they don't see me as a human. So what helps you through that? Uh, <laughs> well, it's where a lot of my work has come from, mm. right? Is be being resilient. Shanti, where, like, let me give you an example. Of, uh, uh, when somebody says something mean or nasty to me, my very first default, dysfunctional default mechanism is to believe them. <laughs> so if somebody calls me a liar or says that I've stole something, literally for like 30 seconds, I'm like, oh! <gasps> They're right about me. I'm an asshole. I'm a liar. I'm a cheat. I'm a blah, blah, blah. Right. And I go down this road of like truly believing what they say. And then it's like, hold up, honey bunch. Wait a second. Stop. Is this really your experience? Is what they're saying true to you right now? And I'm like, oh, no. And then I come home. But I've learned to do that because there, sometimes there were five years ago, even where it would take me out for months. Somebody would be really nasty to me online and I would just be completely floored for months. How do you see the role of defending ourselves in that? Because I know, you know, I've been in relationships where I've been perhaps had accusations thrown at me, I've been attacked mm -hmm. um, in various ways. And um, <laughs> when I look back on it now, I just find it hilariously funny, really looking back on it because <clears throat> it just feels futile to even attempt to defend. Well, that's because defense is futile. So it's, <laughs> I don't defend. 
but I am an absolute stand for myself. Absolutely do I stand here and say, this is who I am. This is what I am. Um, you and I are no longer, it's not necessary to be in the same room. You know, um, I will, I will stand for myself, but I won't stand up to the person or fight or argue or, or try to convince them that I'm a good person. Cause I think that's really what happens. It's like, Oh wait, you don't really see me. I want you to understand that I'm not this shitty person. You're telling me I am <laughs> when these people's opinions about me are valid. It's their opinion. My opinion happens to be very different about myself. We don't have to agree. And we can still, somebody can be disrespectful to me. doesn't mean I have to be disrespectful to them. And the only way I can do that is they're disrespectful to me for about 30 seconds, maybe a little bit longer. I'm disrespectful to me because I'm taking in their words and literally beating the shit out of myself thinking that they're right. And then I stop and I, I'm respectful with myself. But that has been a journey. It wasn't like that wasn't how it was in the beginning. And now people can really come out of place. And what I've learned over time with this is that I know for a fact, and I don't care any, you cannot, this is like one of my deep belief systems. I know for a fact that almost all those people who have been really nasty to me online would never say what they say to me online if we were sitting at the same table together. They would never say something like this to my face. Ever. There's no way because when we're face to face, there's instant collateral impact. And it's not possible. It's We're not capable of being that nasty to each other face to face, unless it's very intimate relationships where we've allowed it to erode to a certain point of disrespect, mm -hmm. right? I'm sure all of us have experienced that at some point. But most of what people have said, what they would never say to me, like if we were having a cup of coffee at a table, or even if we were standing in the same room, they would never say what they, not in the way, the tone, the words, the, the, the shaming, the guilting, not in that way, it would never. The screen makes it capable for people to just be purposely unconscious. I love the distinction there. And I, I don't know if you can just speak to it again, perhaps just in summary, because I feel that's really powerful, important for people to take away. That distinction between, you said, standing up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, what did standing you say? For, and I stand for myself. Stand for yourself as opposed to standing up for yourself. Mm -hmm. So could you summarize? Really I have a good that? story for this. Okay. I have a really good story for yeah. this. So, um, we, my husband and I coach basketball very temporarily from January to June. And we had an incident a couple days ago with the families and there's a WhatsApp chat with the pet parents. We made a decision as a coaching staff. Uh, some parents asked very, well, can you explain why and what that is? And other parents really took it to a level that was kind of shocking for all three of us. We were like, whoa, watching this WhatsApp chat, just being like, is am this real? Is this real? Are people really like talking this way to us? Like what the, and what did we do to deserve this? Right. And all of us felt, um, but I think we felt hurt a little bit attacked and all of us though, did, we were very calm. It was like, okay, let's just see how we feel about this. So then I wrote, cause it just kept, the more we didn't respond, the more it kept getting worse. Like the disrespect and other parents were like, stop, we shouldn't talk about, you know, like it was, you could tell that people were getting uncomfortable. So I just let them know we're all working. We're going to set a meeting to talk to each other, we'll let you know what the outcome of the meeting is. So the next day we have a meeting and we're all kind of feeling this thing and we had written like huge letter. And I said, okay, my husband and this man who I respect very much, I said, what do we want? Like for real, like what are we 
What do we want? And when we got to that, it comes down to like one sentence. And that was it. This whole long three-page document thing <laughs> came down to one sentence because once we could get over feeling disrespected and realize, hey, what are our standards? What, how do we want to come out of this? And it's team and it's respect. And so that's how we went forward. And it, it was really interesting because it changed. Yesterday was our tournament. And walking into it, we didn't know what was going to be there. We didn't know what the, especially from a, a couple of the parents was like, I don't, we don't know what we're walking into. But what I know is that I'm going to stay respectful, regardless of if somebody's in my face, regardless of if somebody doesn't like what I said. And the way that I do that is by looking at like what we have accomplished with these kids. So I know who I am in the situation. I know what we have brought to the situation. I know how, how I know the, um, how much the kids have grown and learned is, is mind blowing in such a short period of time, how happy they all come to practice. The team has grown from eight to 16. Like there's just been this, like, it's a really good synergy there. And so people can be unhappy. They're entitled to those feelings. They can have that. They can be disrespectful, but I don't want to be because I don't like myself when I'm disrespectful. So, but I can still stand and say, your opinion is fine, but you cannot talk to me this way. You cannot talk to me this way. I won't talk to you if you talk to me this way. I'm willing to find a solution together. I'm willing to walk this forward with you, but not like this. That's a stand. We're standing up for myself could have literally been, fuck you, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've done that. Yeah. yeah, which would have been absolutely valid and fair and, and a, a, a normal, <laughs> okay, and I would have got over it and we would have found a solution, whatever. And I think it's really, and that was the thing. It was like, we came together, we all vomited what we felt like. We vomited yeah. what the fuck's wrong with these people. And then we we're like, what do we really want? And when you know what you want, you are a stand for yourself anyway. Mm -hmm. Like when somebody like criticized me for my marketing the other day and I'm like, what do I want? I just want to be heard and seen for who I really am. And that's where I, that's where I speak from. I speak from my true experience. I keep myself in a very human space. I'm honest. I, I let them know this is crazy that you would talk to me like this on Facebook. It was really weird to me, but so here we are. I'm not going to run away. <laughs> I'm wondering just, um, there was something you said that touched on this a little bit earlier as well. And I was, that, that planted the seed of curiosity. Some coaches, it seems from what I hear and, um, not had experience of it. The coaches I've worked with, there aren't any particular much. There isn't much of a conversation around agreements, perhaps very brief. Others, give the impression, oh, we spend two hours, three hours going through agreements. What's your, how does that work for you? Do you mean like agreements, contracts? Yeah. Those kinds of things. At the start no. of a coaching agreement. Well, well this takes, takes us back to like, who, what, what are the two main criteria for my clients? Will they hold my hair if I'm puking in the toilet? Hmm. And if they show up unannounced ever to my door, I come and be like, you can say, you want to come in and eat and sleep here. So, that brings my clientele to be a very specific kind of person, right. people who give a shit, people who truly care, people who are deeply touched by life and living. And that to me is a deeper agreement than anything I could write on a piece of paper. <laughs> I mean, agreements are, we have agreements. Okay. Our meetings are this time every month or every week. That's an agreement, right? Um, uh, uh, depending on the client, there may not be refunds. Like, no, but the conversation is open. Like, it's completely open. I prefer to work with people for three to 12 months. Some people are like, oh my God. I said, okay, let's work for three months and see where we are. 
but it has to be three months for me. I just guess because I, you know, we see this term in some communities, yeah. and I played with it for a while, and it just felt icky to me. So I kind mm. of don't do it anymore. I just allow things to pan out yeah. and we explore. But this term, oh, we make powerful agreements with our Mm-mm. clients. Well, I don't have that. Well, okay, so um, I, I'm trying to think like because I don't understand that like this because it's not something I do, but I'm trying to think like, I can understand the, I don't know, do I make powerful agreements with my kids? <laughs> right. And that's kind of like where I go with that is like, I think I, I, I think in a way I do, but those agreements are, um, be respectful. Yeah. And I imagine, you know, and they be develop honest, over time. Take, let's face it. Take right? personal responsibility for that. Yeah. That and the thing is I trust my clients. I this guy, you know, the, the, a client, I, I send back this message to him. It was like an uh, audio message. And he writes back and he's like, you know, I'm new to this. Because something I had said must have felt harsh. And and I was like, thank you. Thank you for reminding me. Hmm. Yeah. My enthusiasm overtook me. You're absolutely right. Thank you for that. That There has to be room for that in my coaching. Yeah. That the client can say, <gasps> whoa, that hurt. Or I'm not... I'm, I've had clients yelling at me and I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. And they're like, holy shit. I'm like, it's okay. Like you feel there's a conflict. Like I'm not going to go anywhere. This is, this is what we signed up for together. This is because here's in any relationship, whether it's coaching relationship, intimate relationship, parent, child relationship, there's going to be conflict. That conflict is going to grow the relationship. It's going to grow the trust. It's going to grow the understanding. Um, and if you step, if somebody comes to you with conflict and, let me tell you, if, if you're a client and you have a coach and you go to the, your coach and you're like, this isn't working, uh, I, this, I'm upset about something, and your coach ignores you and your coach doesn't meet you there, that is so, it's all, it takes so much courage alone to go to somebody you're in a private coaching relationship with and say, this isn't working. That, that's courageous. Mm. And, and that needs to be like honored. But usually it's not. It's just pushed away. It's, or at least those are the stories I'm getting from people. Like, hey, they, I, I really tried to tell them how I was feeling. They told me it was my problem. Um, what do I do? And in that moment, I'm with those people. I'm like, well, you tell them how you feel. You say what you need to say, but know that it might not be heard. But you need to hear that. And I'm so sorry that that happened to you. Chanti, time's flown by. I've got two mm-hmm. more questions for you. If you had a bunch of coaches in a room who were perhaps in the first couple of years of their practice, mm-hmm. and you had a message for them that was you know, 30 seconds, what might that message... <laughs> can you give a 30-second message? What might that message be? Do everything you can to trust yourself completely. Trust yourself completely. You, yourself, whatever the work that you need to do internally with coaches, without coaches, with whatever it is, so that you get to that point where you solely trust yourself and the decisions that you're making and the person that you're being. Because for me, that is what's lacking in the coaching industry. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know the answer. No, I have the answer. No, you have <laughs> to do it this way. No, you have to do it that way. No, go believe, believe yourself. Believe in yourself. Trust your gut. And you're going to doubt yourself and you're going to feel insecure and you're going to think you're doing it wrong. And that just means you're doing it right. Beautiful. Thank you. And finally, then, for you personally, what is the purpose of your coaching? 
Well, it's something I can't not do. So the purpose is to, the purpose, if, if I look at my clientele and what has come out of that is to remind people what it feels like to be truly, truly cared for and truly, truly supported. What that feels like, because when they have a reference, then they can give it to themselves. And once again, having experienced that, thank you. Thank you for your time today, Shami. Thank you. And also. Well, you can't help but love how straight-talking, honest, loving, caring, committed, and indeed human Shanti is. Did you take in her message right at the end there? Do everything you can to trust yourself completely. Did you get that? I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. I loved it. Totally what this podcast is about, an unfiltered look at what it's like to live a coaching life. Thank you once again for listening. Until next time, I wish you much love and joy.